Welcome to Inspire Campfire, a podcast where ordinary people tell their stories of extraordinary adventure. These are campfire stories meant to inspire the rest of us to light the fire within, get outside, follow our dreams, and return to tell our own stories. Ready? Let's strike the match. Welcome to the show. I'm your host, Scott Wurzbacher, and today we're going to talk about setting big, audacious goals, never giving up on them, and embracing second chances when they are presented. Our guest is returning for a second episode to tell us about one of his second chances. Taylor Grist is with us today, and you might remember him from the first few weeks of this podcast on episode four when he shared his experience climbing Mount Everest in 2021. It was an amazing episode, and his story really helped to set the direction for what this podcast would become. Taylor trained his whole life for the experience on Mount Everest by climbing famous peaks like Mount Rainier and Denali, as well as mountains and ice walls in New Hampshire and Mexico, Central America, and South America. He was completely ready and fully trained for the challenge of Mount Everest. Unfortunately, his Sherpa team came down with COVID only days before he was set to summon and they had to turn back. Two years later, this past May, 2023, Taylor returned to Nepal, committed to finishing what he started, and he's back with us today to share the story of his second attempt on Mount Everest. Taylor, welcome back, my friend, to the campfire. Thanks, Scott. Appreciate you having me. Man, I can't believe it's been two years since we've been on here. I know. I know. I can't believe it's been two years since uh, I've been invited back. <laughs> <laughs> it's been a long time coming, man. Episode four was amazing. Highly recommend people go back if they want to learn about kind of the training and the build up to your first attempt on Mount Everest. Um, I actually listened to it again yesterday in preparation for today. And there was just so many amazing nuggets on there. And it just got me super excited about today. But for those that uh, maybe aren't haven't listened to that episode or if it's been a while, could we just kind of recap that first experience on Everest? Just kind of remind us sort of what, what that was all about. Yeah. Uh, travel 70% of the time for work. Um, and, you know, COVID in 2020 shut everything down around that March timeframe. My, my boss and I were actually in Chile um, coming back when this happened and um, get back and, you know, sit down with my wife and um, everything really just, everything starts closing down, you know, as 2020 COVID. Right. And then, um, my wife is like, well, you, I don't know if I can have you here for, for a year or two years. <laughs> and so, and so, so uh, recapping on it, um, her and I kind of stacked hands and Everest was never a, a goal that I wanted to do. Um, you know, it was always out there, you know, big audacious goal always out there, but you know, when would you ever have time to train for it? When would you ever have time to actually put forth the effort and, mm -hmm. and figure out a balance between work, life and training. And so, um, after my wife and I stacked hands, uh, went to the next, next, uh, major person in my life. And that was my boss. And, uh, and both of them were like, yeah, you know what, this is a goal that we think is going to be good for you. You should give it a shot. And so from that point on, from March until, March of 2021, just trained really, really hard. Like you said, ice climbing, Ecuador volcanoes, just um, a lot of training. And then, you know, got the shot and left uh, March 31st of 2021 and made our way through the Kumba icefall, pretty uneventful, 
did two rotations up and down through the Kumba ice fall to camp three at 23,500 feet. And then, you know, 65 days later, uh, got the news that the trip was canceled due to our Sherpas getting COVID. And so from that point, we, we had a couple of typhoons come through that season, pretty brutal season, um, weather, COVID, and just uh, everything else that was going on. And took two days, humped it out, um, got back to Lukla, flew home, and and then, you know, kind of licked my wounds, got on a podcast with, with, with you, <laughs> told my story, and then, you know, started thinking about, hey, what's next? You know, am I going to really do this thing again or, you know, Ended up taking a full year off of uh, anything major, just kind of backpacking camp with the boys, uh, two young sons. And after that, you know, started having some conversations around, okay, this this could be real again for 2023. So there's one thing that you left out when you, uh, when you found out that the Sherpa team had COVID before the two typhoons came through, uh, you said we didn't know what else to do, so we just got drunk. Yeah, we did. We got we got pretty hammered. <laughs> so, I mean, so it, it helped help ease the wounds for sure. <laughs> and that makes sense. But um, I mean, in that podcast episode, you did say, I'm going to take 2022 off. And you said in that podcast episode two years ago, I'm going back to Everest in 2023. So you knew when we spoke. Um, and I think when we spoke, it was probably four or five months after, maybe, maybe less than that, uh, three yeah, or four months after you had gotten back. But like, can you like, just kind of take us back to when you got the news that you weren't going to be able to make it? Yeah, there was eight of us. We were all in our dining room tent and it was pretty much, you know, we've had some people, we've had some Sherpa test positive up high. Um, we didn't have all the details yet, everything. They're like, look, we're gonna put a 24 hour hold on our summit rotation and summit rotation seven, eight days up the mountain and then back down after you're acclimatized for camp three. They sent us back to our, our, our tents. We get a good night's sleep. And then the next day, about midday, they're like, yeah, this is not going to happen. So pull the plug. The season was, um, officially, I'd say officially over from the climbing season, but then we were really close. We spent a lot of time together. You spend, you know, two months with people like you, you get to know them. And so we all made the decision to really hump it out um, in the middle of a typhoon. So snow, snow going out, turning into rain, mud deep up to your ankles, uh, a lot of, a lot of yak dung as you're, as you're going through as well. And so uh, makes a pre pretty slippery trail back and, and just humped it back for two days and then yeah. you know had a, had a little celebration dinner yeah it's tough man i mean you did like i've known you for a long time you've been training for this for such a long time and i mean this was just totally this wasn't even weather this was like just something completely unexpected you were totally ready you were totally trained completely ready to go up and this thing happened and it just shut you down it's not like you know there was no decision to be made and uh, by the way, I want to say, uh, I, I, one of the things in that episode, I said, it doesn't, ma it didn't matter to me that you did or you didn't summit. Like at the end of that episode, the way that I felt was like, you're still my good friend that climbed Mount Everest. It <laughs> makes no difference to me yeah. whether you made it to the top or not, but that's not the end of the story for you. So I'm curious, like at what point, like how long did it take? And do you remember like when your mind said, I'm coming back? So my wife knows me better than anyone. And I think she actually made the decision. She, she was, she told me, she's like, if you don't do this, you're going to regret it. And, and she knows how I am and she knows how I live my life. I think it was a couple months, maybe about the time of this podcast, whenever her and I really sat down in the podcast last time and we sat down and like, Hey, is this really something that, that you want to do? And I was like, yeah, it is. 
It's like, well, you know, you need my permission first, then you know you go get your boss's permission. <laughs> and so um, I would say once the decision was made, it was still a hard, very hard decision because um, after taking that year off, it was like, okay, it just takes a little bit of time to get right in your mind um, mm -hmm. and just get right in your mind for, I'm going to be gone for two months. I'm going to leave my team again. I'm going to leave my family and children again. I'm going to leave everything behind. I'm going to be very selfish again. And I'm going to go climb this mountain that, that, you know, it's going to occupy a lot of time and not just the, the point of being on the mountain, but the year of training that truly goes into getting ready again for it. And so I think when the decision was made was probably like the absolute decision when I'm paid the first deposit, it was like, okay, I got to start training now. <laughs> so, and that, that was probably, uh, November or December of that following year. Yeah. When you were coming back the first time, like, were you thinking on the plane, like, I'll be back? I don't know. I don't remember. <laughs> I'm sure it was always in the back of my mind that I would come back. Actually, actually, no, it wasn't. So actually, I never wanted to come back. I did. Okay. <laughs> I, I really did. It's I was all like, coming back now. <laughs> yeah, it's all coming back now. I really actually did not want to come back, especially those first like months. It was like there's just so much that I missed and so much that that I knew would be ahead of me to do it again. Mm -hmm. And when I did make the decision and I, I kept saying it over and over to people, yeah, I'm going back, I'm going back. And once it became real, um, it really kicked in that, hey, we're traveling. COVID's not as much anymore, right? You still got to be careful. You know, everybody wash your hands out there. Um, when I did make that decision, it was, okay, here we go. Did you do anything differently the second time around? I had to do a whole bunch different. Um, first time I had, I could make time without travel to work out and to do things um, before work, after work. And, and I was, I could balance family a lot easier because they were home. I wasn't traveling. Uh, second time around, I was traveling back to 60% of the time, 70% mm. of the time in, in 2022, right? And so uh, traveling a lot. Um, so I had to balance work and family and training and life a lot more. Unfortunately, what which gets the least priority is family. Family always suffers whenever you go through these things. Um, and I tried to balance that the most. What I learned was is that I had to train harder. I had to find different times to train. I had to manage my travel more more respectfully for my family like you know if i can get home earlier i come home earlier if i could if i could thread the needle and get there right before a meeting and traveling i would do that and like so i would just manage it a lot better and then the training was the hardest piece you know six days a week of training you know going out with customers at night until 10 11 o'clock at night right and then waking up at four or five to go train it it puts a little toll on you what was what was the six day a week like when you're not on a mountain what does the training look like yeah so basically it's about 35 35 miles a week ten thousand vertical gain a little bit of running two days of working two days of strength um saturdays are big days four or five hour days five thousand foot vertical gains um with a 25 30 pound weight vest on and then a lot of running um last time i wasn't able to run as much because i tore a a lateral meniscus, but this time I was much better. And so home for you is the same as for me, Charlotte, North Carolina. So did you train in the mountains around here? I did. When I could get out on for like quick training, uh, 
drive up to Crowder's Mountain. You know, that's 800 feet, and I crunched that out for four hours, just up mm -hmm. and down as fast as I could. You know, once or twice a month, I head up to Mount Mitchell, crank that out a couple of times, um, going up and down, uh, 10 hours, five hours, stuff like that. Yeah, and for those listening, Mount Mitchell is the highest peak on the East Coast. I think it's, what, 6,200 feet? 66, something like that. It's, it's somewhere in between, yeah. 66. I got lucky that my coach, my coach and I stayed pretty close. We're pretty good friends. Um, Mark Postal, he's with Evoke Fitness. You know, him and I did a run on the Tetons, um, did some climbing about four days in the Tetons, which kind of was a little litmus test back in August of 2022. And then in December, um, went down and finished up my plan from 2020, did Aconcagua, which is uh tallest mountain in South America. Yeah. And uh, we did that via the Polis Glacier. So most people go the normal route. We did the Polis Great Glacier, which is uh, just an ice, pretty steep ice wall. Um, it was about a 15-hour summit day there. So good little litmus test for me for about, I think we were there for two and a half weeks. And then really just digging in for Everest. Hey, everyone. It's Scott here. This podcast is a passion project for me because I absolutely love adventure. And it's thanks to the effort of my residential real estate team here in Charlotte, North Carolina, that many of you know as the W Realty Group, that this podcast gets funded. This awesome group of people have unmatched levels of competence and caring for our clients. If you know of anyone looking to buy or sell a home, our team serves the Charlotte, North Carolina market, but we can also help you find an agent anywhere throughout the US or Canada through our highly connected network. When you support our real estate business, you are also supporting this podcast. Thanks for listening and thanks for your referrals. So you, you've got uh, how many of the seven summits? Three, three of the hardest. Yeah, man. I love it. The three of the hardest. So we're going to, we'll, we'll have to talk about that, whether that's on Absolutely. your list or not, but I'm curious. So just go back to, to Mount Everest and um, you know, we won't cover a lot of the stuff that we talked about the last time around and kind of you know, the acclimatization and going up and down and through the, the Kumbu. And, but I'm curious, like, do you specifically remember getting to the point that you left off, like where you guys had to turn back around? Like, do you kind of remember those first few steps of like going further than you went last time? What was that like for you? Yeah. So I would say, um, getting to Kathmandu, if I can go through this real quick, yeah, yeah. getting to Kathmandu, getting to Kathmandu, it's an adventure in itself. Um, very uneventful, same as, uh, pretty much last time it's an adventure, right? It's an adventure travel, a little bit over 24 hours to get to, to Kathmandu from, from Charlotte. Mm -hmm. From there to Lukla, you know, you can take a helicopter or fixed wing flight. And then once you get to Lukla, it's about a 39 mile hike in the base camp. Um, at 17,500 feet. So very, very similar. A lot of the same people staying in some of the same places. People know you, they remember you. My guide this time was uh, Naren and he was on, he was my guide the last time on 21. And also was lucky enough to have um, a couple of really good guides. Um, Casey Grom, he was on the same, same trip as us with a private client. And then my coach, uh, Mark Postal was on a, the same trip with a private climber as well. So all three of it was like bringing the game back together. That's amazing. And so yeah. it was actually, it was actually pretty cool just hiking in with everyone and just, um, you know, getting back to where we were at base camp from there. What changed? Um, most people do two rotations. Um, we were feeling pretty strong. So we only did one rotation this time. Um, you climb a peak on your way in called Lobache East, uh, which takes you right up about 20,000 feet. And so from there, you get one acclimatization climb in, um, okay. kind of one rotation. And so when we got to base camp, we really just 
we did some training um, for a week or something like that. And then we did our first rotation. That first rotation took us up to camp three. And that was where my last point was. But when we woke up at camp two and we were heading to camp three, you know, camp three, you have to go out, go through the Bertrand and go up to the load sea face, which is a steep blue ice wall to hit camp three. Man, I got to the bottom of the Bertrand and I just couldn't go any further. I was weak. I was tired. I was, I just didn't feel it. And I, I felt just like a, I started crying. I looked at my guy and I was like, I can't go anymore. <laughs> and uh, on the way down, um, we ran into Casey's uh, partner and she was, she's pretty cool. She was on my climb the last time. And she's like, don't worry, man. He's like, the mind, the mind, I'm not going to say the cuss word she said, but the, <laughs> she said, you know, the, the mind does crazy things to you. You'll, you'll, you'll be fine. And gave me a big hug and I was on my way down and she was on her way up. And she, it was definitely different in the fact that I didn't on that rotation, I didn't get to make it to the last point. So when we came all the way back down and we were in base camp, you know, we're sitting there and we're waiting for um, our weather window. So we got the first weather window and just for um, kind of a, a, the weather window was from May 12th. Uh, my rotation was from May 12th through May 19th. Okay. So we woke up the morning of the 12th. Beautiful weather was predicted for summit. We were looking at the 16th, the summit. Beautiful weather was in the, the clearing, uh, was in the forecast. And we woke up about 2 a.m. and we started heading up and doing our rotation. So when I did, and I will come back to that, but when I did hit camp three again, it was totally different than the first time. <laughs> it was, uh, a lot harder and we were sleeping and, or trying to sleep. And we actually, that's where you start oxygen. So okay. uh, the first time around, I didn't stop start oxygen because we were not on our summer rotation. So when I did get there, I felt, I felt a sense of relief, but cause I'd, I've been there before, but there's also the sense of the unknown of the camp three to summit all the way back down that I did not know. So a whole different story there. So camp three is where that's as far as you guys got the last time. So once you got yeah. to camp three and you're heading up, this is like new territory that you haven't hit before. Like what did that feel like? So there's a lot that goes into this, right? And so if I can just kind of um, give you and the everyone else kind of a, a, a glance of the 2023 spring season and what we were up against, it might kind of help for what we encountered above camp three. There was 478 permits issued in 2023. This is the, the most permits ever issued um, on Everest. And there were 47 teams. Of those 47 teams, I believe there was 89 Americans total. And it generated about 5.8 million in royalties for the, the Nepal government. This is one of the largest um, revenue generators that sure. there is. It's also the second highest summit rate since 2006. So about 1,200 climbers were, were geared up to go. You know, so that's a little village inside of a, inside of a base camp yeah. of that 1200, 600 people seceded in summoning. So a 50% success rate, 300 of them were Sherpa, um, or guides and 250 clients. And the whole summit, the whole summit window was from May 15th to May 26th. Wow. Okay. Yeah. So pretty, pretty big window. It was also kind of the major issues that we were experiencing or that were around. Um, it was the coldest May in 30 years, like the coldest May in 30 years. Also, the logistics above Camp 2, they were pretty obsolete. Um, and logistics meaning not enough oxygen, not enough tents, not enough stoves, 
and and more people than should have been there. And the reason why the logistics were kind of uh, all messed up is because from from my view, right, and I think from others, is that there was one, there was a strange upper respiratory virus going around at base camp, which not COVID, but like an RSV or something like that. And it, mm-hmm. it really decimated our our porters and our Sherpas. And so we still had that going around. So there wasn't enough people to carry stuff up the mountain to make sure that logistics were covered very high up. The north side was still closed. And so with China still being closed, it puts more people on the south side. So okay. that's a hundred, that's between a hundred and 150 people extra on the south side of the mountain. And then COVID, COVID was still present, even though, I mean, it was it's still around, right? Um, so it was also it tied for the deadliest season on Everest um, to date with 17 people that uh, died. So what's normally a 3% death rate would turn out to be a 5% death rate. Most things that you'll read, it was because of inexperienced climbers joining low cost operators. And then I would say the weather, the weather really really took a toll on a lot of people that was the spring season at a glance you you were supposed to have good weather yeah we were supposed to have good weather when we got our our when we got our weather window which was that that we were to eye in the 16th you know winds were winds were at a acceptable level um the whole week of may 12th through the 19th the winds were getting lower and lower and lower so when we left on the 12th um one after we did the one rotation. So we left at 2 a.m., went through the Kumba Icefall. We stayed at Camp 1 for one night when we got there. From Camp 1, we went to, oh, man, I missed a good part on probably the scariest moment um, below Camp 3. So one rotation, um, we're going from Camp 1 to Camp 2. Kind of beautiful day. You know, Camp 1 to Camp 2 is not that far, um, not, not too much elevation gain. But it is it is riddled with crevasses, just just stacked up upon each other, and deep, 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 wide, everything. And so my guide and I, Naren, we were walking through. Um, we had another friend and his guide were behind us. Not they weren't roped with us. It was just Naren and myself roped together. And so we're about halfway between Camp One and Camp Two, and there's this crevasse. It's maybe two and a half, three foot long, maybe three foot long, right? It's got a lip on the bottom that you step on and then you kind of just put your jump up a little bit to the other one. And so here I am, other people in front of us, they go, they do it. And so I go, put my foot down, get ready to jump, the whole thing collapses. (laughs) And so and so collapses. My God's already on the other side. He self-arrest. I'm I'm dangling underneath the the crevasse, looking down like, oh man. And then the the guide with my friend behind us drops me an anchor. I clip it into my belt just for secondary. And then all of a sudden, I look up and I see three porters jump over me. And within ten minutes, they have me yanked out. And right when I get out, my guy goes, "Did you have any um, flash like flashes of your life?" I was like, "No, just get me the." (laughs) <laughs> blank out of here like get me out of here like oh my God. and so uh ever since that point it's uh i have had a hard time i had a really hard time with crevasses throughout that whole time i got stage fright it was like oh man like i'm gonna fall in again and but but we worked through it and it was we made it to the summit and everything was fine it's <laughs> oh, crazy man i know i know um we went to camp two so i think we spent two nights at camp two then we uh, moved up to Camp Three. Camp Three, we went on oxygen. My uh, one of my thermo rests was left at Camp Two, so I was sleeping on the uh, 
the, a pad in between my guide and my, my coach friend, um, yeah. cause his, his, um, his client had the bell. Um, she got the upper respiratory thing, so she couldn't make uh, it. Okay. So I got really lucky. I had two guides and I was in the middle. And so, uh, left one of my pads at camp two. So instead of having two pads, I have one. So I was sleeping in a, a dip in between <laughs> them <laughs> and just trying to, just trying to keep warm. And that's where we went on oxygen. We woke up early or we actually, you don't, don't really sleep. Oh, above camp two, you really don't sleep. Um, and so when we got up and got started getting moving, changed out our oxygen at camp three, and we started moving up the Lotsey face toward the um, yellow band, you know, it's, it's pretty steep. It's, it's cold, but not, not undoable. Right. It's like, you're like, okay, one foot in front of the other, I can do this. I'm breathing oxygen. I'm running, you know, 2.53 liters, right. Feeling good. So we get, we get up the yellow band. Everything's going great. Uh, we start traversing across, getting ready to go up Geneva Spur, make it to the top of Geneva Spur. We, you know, we're, we're all doing really well. You get to the top of the Geneva Spur and you can like look back and you see really all the way down to Camp 3, all the way down the glacier. And you can start to see the crowds kind of forming. People with uh, large groups like I had the first time that I went, you know, the Western teams and stuff like that. So if you think about it, like each person has to have a climbing Sherpa. So one person becomes two people. So me with a group of, I was three people, two guys and myself, but we only had to have two climbing Sherpa. So we were a group of five, right? And so once you reach top of Geneva Spur, we started seeing that crowd come and you drop down to Camp 4, which sits at 26,000 feet. Okay. And Camp 4 is what they say. It's a, um, it's, a, it's a salvage yard for sure. They've done a really good job of cleaning a lot of it up, but it's still... Uh, weather-torn tents that are just scattered. It's uh, broken, everything. It's just, it's a, it's a salvage yard. Yeah. Um, when we got there, wind, wind was blowing pretty good. It was picking up and um, there, it was, became very clear, not enough oxygen for people, not enough tents for people, um, not enough stoves to melt water. We had our own stove. Um, we had a tent, but they were uh, people were trying to like put four or five, six people into a tent. Like it just doesn't work that way. Right. Mm -hmm. And so we made a decision, um, to most people stay at camp four for a few hours, get some rest, free fuel and then do what they need to do. Um, me, Naren and Mark, we made a decision and, and took like a second. We got rid of everything that was, that we did not absolutely need kind of stacked hands laid back said okay we're we got there at 4 p.m we said at 6 p.m we're leaving for the summit and so 6 p.m rolls around we're packed up um we actually start heading for the summit around 6 37 um, at night we start moving up the um, triangular face and the wind's picking up pretty good it's getting pretty cold the crowds are getting bigger and bigger um you can just you can see it and so we hit the balcony and the winds are blowing pretty pretty solid on the balcony is where you change out oxygen. And so we changed out oxygen. I tried to suck some goo down. Whenever you're on bottled oxygen, it's not like being on bottled oxygen down here. It's uh, it's like pure oxygen, pure compressed oxygen. And so your body adjusts for that in the way that it builds up phlegm in your throat. And okay. so where it's really hard to take, to to like swallow, it's really hard to, to, to do a lot of things. So trying to suck down gooey goos is, is, it doesn't work out too well. So we literally had probably one liter of water, bottle of water, a small one in our, 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 our down suit. We we're wearing a negative down 40 suit at that point in time and maybe five goose to get us up and back. 
Um, so when we hit that balcony, it was it was blowing. Changed out oxygen, started moving up um, toward the south summit, and all of a sudden, like I'm like something's not right. I can't breathe, and so I kind of nudged my uh, gardener in, and we're we're family, right? I mean, it's like, hey man, like I I can't breathe. Something wrong. He said some words around cussing at me, like you're gonna be fine, you know, whatever. He's like, it's like it's all good, and I was like, okay, all right, I trust you. Start going. I'm like something's not right right so my mask my mask is sticking to me like a, a octopus tentacle pretty much and it's just like every time i breathe it's like Oof. Mm. and so i'm like okay so i take my mask off i was like we got to do something like something's wrong what happens is that when it gets really cold that that the bottom of your 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 regulator your mask freezes with uh the humidity that's coming out all this all the snot and all the all the good stuff right and it freezes and it, it just freezes solid. And so we undid it. It was frozen solid. You can't break it out. It's just way too cold. We were carrying extra masks. So we were able to flip out the old mask for the new mask. And from there, we were, we were on. Okay. And so, <laughs> and, so, and so these are the things you're dealing with. And I'm feeling this with you. Yeah. And so these are things that you're working through at, um, let's say, 27 and 28,000 feet, right? So not the things you want to be uh, having to worry about at that point in time. So about 30 minutes into that, I'm like, God, my hands are freezing. So um, I have to switch to, to my mitts. My hands are just really, really cold. I mean, it was really cold it was when, when, we, when we started moving up to the South Summit. We get up to the South Summit and um, sun's starting to reach up through the horizon and you can actually see the sun coming up. And, you know, I just took a minute just to take a breath yeah. and uh, look around. It was pretty surreal and pretty cool just to see, you know, the Tibetan uh, plateau and then Nepal to the, the South side. And so it was a really, really cool moment in my life that's kind of imprinted in my brain. Then we hit the South summit. We, we started across the cornice, um, traverse, um, just, just jagged edges. Um, and, uh, a lot of granite that's just, um, moving across granite with no traction in crampons and crampons you know these 12 points that mm -hmm. you're, you're you're shooting sparks everywhere because it's just like you're not sticking so pretty pretty scary moment and there then we hit hillary hillary step and um, a lot of people on the hillary step going up and down just like a bottleneck for sure um, once we got through that um, we made our way up to the summit um, got some really cool pictures. We were on the summit for probably 10 minutes at the most because it was so cold. I think when I went back and I looked at the weather for that day, it was like negative 22 degrees with like a 12 to 15 mile an hour winds, which equates to like negative 40 plus um, with the windshield. And so it was really cold and, I, and I, I was feeling really, really cold. And so we wrapped up, tried to get a goo down, threw up in my mouth a little bit, <laughs> and then <laughs> tried to get some water down, but didn't have enough, really enough water. And so... Yeah. Uh, then from there we started moving down and, um, we got back to the South summit, realized that the oxygen we thought we had were, was not there. And so we were really, really pretty low on oxygen. So, uh, we started humping it back down, back down to the balcony, um, where we changed out some oxygen, then down to camp four. Mark Postal, my, my friend and coach, he actually ran out of, of oxygen about an hour out of <laughs> camp four. And you can survive for for a little bit without oxygen, especially um, when you're acclimatized, but not too long. We also passed a couple of people that, um, you know, went on was stuck on the line, just couldn't get off the line. And then um, um, once we got back to camp four, so we summed it May 17th to 833 a.m. And then once we got back to camp four, I think it was around 6 p.m. that evening. So 
we had been gone for roughly 24 hours the total trip to camp yeah. four yeah um back back to camp four i think we slept like 14 hours woke up and then continued our descent downwards but uh, camp four 14 hours that's at twenty six thousand feet yeah it's still another two uh, two days down right once yeah. you hit the summit it's still another two days down I, I have this picture that i'll share with you that that you can share but it's a picture of what success actually looks like and um so this picture of of me is when i got back to camp four took my mask off and just kind of took a picture of my face I truly look like an 80 year old man. Um, my my face is swollen on one side from just having the oxygen so so tightened down on it, and just like I look like an 80 year old man. So I'll share that. Man, with you. We're gonna take a take a look at what success looks like. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> I want to go back to the summit for a minute because I kind of glossed over that, and I know you were uh, you were tired, and you know, but but just take, take me back to the summit for a minute. I mean, did you get to have a moment up there of, we talked about it on, on our first, our first episode together, that word awe, like, did you get to have a moment of awe up there on the summit? The whole thing was all right. <laughs> it, I mean, I, I know it sounds cliche, but like everything above camp three was, was all like, it's, it's nothing I ever seen in my whole life. It's it could be good all or bad all because <laughs> yep. there's there's a couple types of all right. Fear and um, wonder. Yeah. So, but everything above Camp Free Three, which I had not experienced before. I mean, let me say this: there's very lo- little and tiny bits of uh, humanity up there, um, and very glimpses that you actually see of that. And so, um, being on the summit was it was awesome. Like, but eighty five percent of people die coming down so it's like your your mind yeah you're there you get pictures and and i was extremely excited and but i was also extremely cold been up for almost 72 hours and like let's wrap this up let's get down and let's 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 get moving right because i don't want to be up here for for longer than i need to be did you like in that summit attempt you know whether it's the minutes before you get there while you're there on the way down did you did you feel any emotion a lot um so i remember i said on the on that rota- the one rotation we did up to camp three i cried yeah. when i got to the, the top my guy was like are you not going to cry i was like I, i'm so dehydrated i have no water to cry <laughs> <laughs> i was like i'm crying inside <laughs> but <laughs> yeah there's a lot of emotion i think the more emotion comes out when you actually get down and you get back to like a safe place and like you feel safe. Can Catman do yeah and then and then you're like okay now i can now I can start, I can start living. <laughs> so um, you mentioned um, the crowds and I don't want to just hit that real quick. Cause I have seen some pictures online of like, it's almost like a, a line at Disney, like going up. Did, I mean, was that, is that just, is that real? Like, did you see that kind of those kinds of lines on Mount Everest? So on my summit day, a hundred people summited a hundred people. Um, and so there were some big lines. I, I would so say those big lines are, look, there's big groups on Everest, right? So like, if you think about my 2021, if we would have made it to the summit, you know, we were eight, we would have been a, a group of 16 plus our gods with their, with their Sherpa, that would have been a group of 23 people in one group that are, are trying to make their way to the summit. So the, the crowds are definitely prevalent. It's, but they're, they're, they're team crowds, I would say, um, yeah. if that makes sense. They're, I would also say when you're in a smaller group, which I'm glad I did this time, you know, 
we were able to going up from the balcony um, at I think like 27,000 feet to South Summit, 28,000 feet and then higher. You know, we're actually able to unclip from the rope, clip to each other and crank our oxygen up a little bit more and move around people at a faster rate. And so a little bit more dangerous, but a lot more calculated instead of standing in line, waiting to shiver and be cold. We would actually get off the beaten path get around them and move up faster. Yeah, that makes sense. One one thing too that I thought about is like, you know, I mean, you're on Mount Everest. Like you have to be completely aware. There's danger all around you. But I feel like when you're in a place where there's like a lot of people all doing the same thing, like somehow like it feels safer because there's like other people. And I'm just curious, like up at, you know, 26, 7, 8, 9,000 feet, did you experience that or were you able to kind of like maintain the fact that like, yes, there's people around, but this is like still very dangerous and I've got to stay alert. Both. So one, yes, there's people around. Yes. There's the inexperienced people, which scares the, the, the whatever out of me. Yeah. Right. Yeah. Um, they fall, they grab, they, they bring you down with them. It's like a drowning person. Right. Yeah. The glimpses of, of the opposite of that is watching my friends who at were, who we talked to almost daily inside of our camp who weren't a part of our team, but actually seeing them come down from the summit or summit before us or see them crossing. Those were the glimpses where it's like, yeah, you know what? Um, it's not, not as bad as what it could be. <laughs> yeah. So um, one of the things like this was not this time in May, obviously was your second attempt. Yes. I, I have to believe that the fact that, I'm sure you were disappointed the first time around, but like having to go back, do it a second time and to be successful, to reach the summit, to hit your goal. Like, does that not make it the fact that you didn't get all the way to the top? Does that not make it a more rich experience overall? It does. It, it, it does. It was um, the support system uh, that I have that allowed me to actually go back and do it again, like, and actually finish something that I started and actually be able to say, you know, I climbed the highest mountain in the world, right? And I made it back unscathed. Like there was a lot of frostbite. Like, there was a lot of, a lot of deaths, a lot of frostbite, a lot of things. And I, I made it back without. I mean, I, I got very blessed, I would say. And so it does. It makes it, it makes it so much more. Uh, I'm so much more appreciative. It's, it's. I mean, I'm so inspired. Uh, you know, another thing like that I've noticed just, just about you, like in the time the first time and and even since the second time i had, i know that you got to know a lot of people through this experience and you've developed a lot of really close relationships like at one point um after the first time i think it was before the second time i watched the movie 14 peaks on netflix and uh, uh this is uh nims Perja, and he goes out and does uh the 14 highest peaks in a year i think it was it's a super cool movie but i remember like texting you about it and you were like oh i know that guy oh yeah i know that guy like i just like it's a yeah. small community right like when you get when you get into it that climbing community it very much is it very much is and you run into people all the time like killian um we ran into in 2021 um we ran into a, there's some major climbers out there that yeah better yeah so and so what is like you know i mean you're in that community now like what is it what has it been like for you to to be able to just kind of like be with those people be in that environment and have kind of like those contacts like how has that helped like make your life more fulfilling i mean really 
I wouldn't say it makes my life more fulfilling. I would say they're they're athletes, they're pros, right? They are. This is what they do. They they take people to the hottest hottest peaks in the world, and and they do it twice a year, right? Um, I am in awe at what they do yeah. <laughs> because because I look back and it's like you know, I I balance right. I balance my career versus my climbing ambitions versus my family, right? And they they get to do this all day long. And yeah. so I'm more at all of like what all they accomplish and what all they've done. And so yeah. um, I, I wouldn't say I, I, I gain anything from it. Um, I say, was it in a, in a valley full of giants? <laughs> well, that, and that, I mean, the reason why I yeah. asked that question is, is I mean, like to a to a much lesser degree, like this. I mean, this podcast makes me feel that way. Like to be surrounded by people that are doing such amazing things, it it, it fills me up. Like it inspires me. It makes me want to go do more things. And so, like just listening to your story is getting me all fired up. Like one of my bucket list items, and I've talked with you about it, is absolutely to go do the base camp trek. Um, I do wonder when I get to base camp, if I look up at the face, if I'm going to feel like, oh, wow, I want to do that too. But we'll start with base camp. Be careful. Be careful where your feet take you. It's just inspiring to be surrounded by such amazing people and to like be able to, you know, have those people to be able to, to tap and ask questions and, you know, have that, that real contact. I mean, it's, you know, you and I have known each other for a very long time and, you know, it's one thing to watch about a mountain climber on TV, but it's another thing to know somebody that you're so close with and to know, like, you know, my good friend Taylor has summited Mount Everest and I'm just so proud of him. And it's just so cool to, to watch what he's done and the hard work that he's put into it. And I know, I know it was hard. I know it was hard on your wife and your kids and, but, um, but it's super inspiring, man. And so I guess that brings me to, um, that that inspiration how has this helped you as a dad and and what conversations have you had with your kids about about adventure and climbing big mountains and setting big goals yeah that's it's a great question so i would say patience again right <laughs> i think i said it the first time I, I i'm learning patience more and more like i think we said this last time too a very goal-oriented person with a lot of drive um, you learn patience as, especially in Nepal, you know, you got a lot of time, you got a lot of time to downtime. You got a lot of time for, you know, just yourself. And so patience is what I'm trying to be, continue to be better at. And then, you know, passing it along to my children who, you know, they get excited, right? They, 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 they're kids. And so really just leaning into their passion of what they want to do. So we've done a lot of camping. Like when I got back, um, you know, we spent a lot of time going to outdoor concerts. We spent a lot of time camping, kayaking, canoeing, um, just a lot of time. It's just a family doing these outdoor things that they really love. And so it's, for me, it's just leaning into whatever they want to do, just leaning into what they want to do and not, not just saying no, which I like, Parents, parents, myself included, are very good at saying no, but maybe, maybe sometimes say yes and see how it ends up. And you never know what's going to happen. You never know what how it's going to help them grow. So being outdoor with my children, I'll, I'll tell you, this, I did this before. In 21, I took my oldest um, on, a, on a hike. And um, I did the same thing for my my youngest this past time before, whenever I got back. And so basically it was a 
six mi uh, nine miles, six hours, 3,600 vertical feet. And by the time they reach almost the top, they're like crying to go down. And so watching them push, push past that and want to finish and then coming back down and like having a big steak dinner on a fire, yeah. on, a, on a fire pit, they're like, dad, thank you so much. So like, <laughs> you know, like, like what people have done for me throughout my career and for climbing and for work is like pushing me outside of my comfort zone and yeah. seeing what I can do. And so that's, that's what I can give to my children. It's just yeah. pushing them just a little bit harder so they don't break, but they know they, they can do it. Yeah. Yeah. I love that. And, and, uh, your work was also very supportive in all this, um, they were. you know, giving yeah. you the freedom to be able to do this twice. I know I asked you this question the last time, but how did this second experience make you a better leader? It made me a better leader. So when I left again this time, I, <laughs> this is a funny one. So, so I've actually, I had a, a new people on my team. So the, the people from 2021 were still there and they still joke around. Taylor left us for three months. Taylor left us for four months. I'm like, no, it was only 60 days. So when I left this time, I'd actually hired someone and about three days later, I was leaving for Everest. And I told the guy, I said, um, I said, I'm hiring you because I think that you're the right person for, for our organization because I'm leaving for two months to go climb Everest. And he kind of looked at me with these eyes like, um, you're leaving? And I said, yep, but, but you're going to have a great uh, a great onboarding plan. I got a seven-week onboarding plan for you. Everything's laid out. <laughs> <laughs> and so, so I get back and he's like, He's like fully up to speed. I'm traveling with him. I'm like, man, this is the great onboarding plan for, I've ever had. And then my boss like, maybe you should leave every for leave too much every time. And I'm like, oh, <laughs> there you go. You crushed it, man. That's a huge win right there. It is. Leadership comes in many different forms. Um, I try to lead by example, not, and I try to be in the trenches with my team a lot, and they know that, and they they also know that I'm a resource and I'm a tool for them as well. So I try to be more of that and listen more and, you know, lead by example, man, we could keep talking for hours. Um, I, so I have to ask, <laughs> you know, you, you've been on Everest twice. Yep. Is there going to be a third time? So I don't think I'll ever climb Everest again. Okay. And, and I keep going back. People ask me all the time. Um, and I keep going back. Um, 8,000, 8,000 meter peaks are for young people. I'm not young anymore. <laughs> I mean, it's it's pretty hardcore up there, man. It's yeah. um, it's a young man's game up there. Um, I'll never say never. I would love to, as my kids get older and they want to trek in or they want to climb it, I'd trek in the base camp with them. I'd support them. I think 8,000 meter peaks for this this time period in my life are behind me. How yeah. about the seven summits? Yeah, totally. Going to knock that out. <laughs> yeah, yeah. So um, I got Everest, Aconcagua, and Denali. You know, got Benson, Carson Pyramid, Elbrus, and um, Kilimanjaro left. I'm say I would like to say Kilimanjaro since it's a uh, uh, non-technical. I'd like to say that for my children and I. Yeah, and, totally. and and just knock that out for the last one. Yeah. Oh, that'll be amazing. So, look, I know Mount Everest is a huge like lifetime goal, something that you have to train for for years. But I'm just curious if somebody, if you sparked a seed in anybody listening right now, if you want to climb Mount Everest at some point in your life, how does one get started? Yeah. So that's a really good question, Scott. It could be, it could be Mount Everest in like the real mountain, or it could be the Mount Everest of whatever you want to do. Right. Um, and so I, I still believe, you know, 
the only way to do it is to step outside your comfort zone, put one foot in front of the other and see where it leads you. And I, I really believe that. And if it's something you like, you know, you got to put your all into it. Like you got to train hard. You got to, you got to, you got to train hard. You got to be, you know, you got to get your dietary. You got to do everything that you need to do to be able to succeed because at 29,035 feet, no one else cares. It's, it's, I mean, it's, it's your own two feet that are going to get you up and get you down and it's your you know, taking care of yourself. So I would say just one foot in front of the other and get out there and get it. Love it. All right, Taylor. So the last time uh, we talked about this, I asked you about Hollywood because, you know, first time around, we, we knew Hollywood was going to hear about your story. They were going to make a movie about you. And um, you said that for the first attempt on Everest, when they make a movie about you, that you were going to actually play yourself. Yeah. And the name of your movie was going to be Untangled. Mm-hmm. So now it's time for a sequel. And this is the one where you get to the top. So are you still playing yourself? I'm still playing myself. All right. Have you, have you, bit, have you gotten Untangled? Um, I would still say the the name of the movie is Untangled. <laughs> Unt- Untangled too. Yeah, Untangled too. It's uh, man, there's a lot of entanglement out there, man. Honestly, and as you get, you know, as you get older, your kids get older, more things creep in on upon you. This, you know, work gets more intense. Like people want more and more of your time, and it's just um, Untangled is what it is, man. I, I live by it. You gotta, you gotta, you gotta find time for yourself and for what's important in your life. So I love it, man. Well, you, you're so humble. Like I really, really appreciate you spending the time today. Uh, it's a super incredible inspiration, what you did. And, um, I know that people listening are going to be pumped. If people want to see like pictures or find out more about your experience, is there a way for them to do that? Yeah. Um, email or text me. Okay. Okay. Well, yeah. we, can, um, we can put uh, that information uh, in the show yeah. notes. Yeah. And I'll also send you a whole bunch of pictures too. Um, I Amazing. Got, I got thousands. Amazing. Well, thank you for your time. And I hope that for those listening, you have been inspired today as much as I have. I hope Taylor's story has encouraged you to listen to the voice inside that calls you to adventure because we want to hear your story next. If you have a story to tell or just need a nudge to create one, please send me an email. We'd also appreciate it if you'd help us spread the word by leaving a review and sharing or tagging Inspire Campfire in your social media. And until next time, I want to encourage you to get outside. Thanks for listening. Taylor, man, thank you so much for being here. It was awesome. Ah, Thank you. I love it. Appreciate it, man.